Hey, what's up? Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. The Secularia, the Hypocritical. I'm Absalom Shakur. And today, I guess we we'll to talk about some apologetics. Uh, apologetics is the art and science, that's like what I like to call it, of um, defending the scriptures. The uh, apologetics comes from the Greek word apologies, to to stand in defense of something, uh, maybe like a citadel or something, standing in defense of a of the um, of the castle. So uh, we are the defenders of the gospel to speak out against cults and um, quasi religious cults. And um, yeah, you know, a t- Christianity is attacked from all fronts. So. I've heard before that, oh, God doesn't need a lawyer and whoop do this and that. And, and then people criticize apologetics, and I don't know why. Because it's such an important role, you know, um, in Christianity. Because people need to hear um, intelligent uh, arguments, you know, intelligent, um, you know, rebuttals to, you know, scientific naturalism, things like that. And so when, you know, a lot of apologists tour colleges because the, the kids in the college, they need to hear um, the, the other side, you know, because science doesn't definitely doesn't give you all the answers. And they, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but, but anyhow, yeah. So, um, but scripturally, you know, you have apologists from you know, from the first century, he, one of the apostles was an apologist, Paul. Let me see here in Acts chapter 17, it says, it says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of Jews, then Paul as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. So here, Paul is reasoning from the scriptures. And he did it for three weeks. Three Sabbaths. It said that he, um, that he reasoned with the scriptures. That he reasoned with them, you know. He had to clear up some things. And, and that's what apologists do. We clear up stuff. You know, discrepancies. And we lay the truth out. Like, there's a lot of scientific uh, things out there that's not true. But they teach them in schools. Um, they teach evolution as it were a truth. And it's just a theory. And it's a poor theory at that. And um, so, yeah, apologists, they debate scientists. You can even go on to YouTube and look at some really great, strong apologists. William Lane Craig, uh, Ravi Ravi Zacharias, um, Hank Hanegraaff. And uh, the best of the apologists in this century, I think, is Dr. R.C. Sproul. Strong, strong apologist. Um... A uh, big part of um, what's, what I like about apologetics is that you can, um, I like to provide, you know, the correct information. Say, for instance, um, with the Jehovah Witnesses. I used to see Jehovah Witnesses, you know, recruiting people, uh, see Mormons and stuff recruiting people. And I would go over and I would listen, you know, in the Jehovah Witness conversation. And I would listen. And then I will offer the person that was listening, that will that was being recruited. I will offer him another um, another solution, you know. Or I will well the truth. <laughs> he called him solution, but I, I would offer him the truth. Like 
when things came up like the deity of Christ, the uh, Jehovah Witnesses denied the deity of Christ, or they deny the, um, the 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 Holy Spirit as a person. They say he's God's impersonal force, like electricity or something. Um, um, or you know, it's just a lot of bad stuff that they teach. And so what I would go in, I would do is I would show them in scripture why um orthodox christianity believe in the deity of jesus christ um a, a quick example of that is like i would do something like this let's let's talk about that now let's talk about the deity of jesus christ from the apologetic perspective so i would let the listener i would take into places like this like john uh john chapter what is it john 8 and I would show them and I would make correlations and I would show them um, I would tell them what they what the Jehovah Witnesses don't believe and I would let them tell them why they don't believe it and I would show them what the scripture says for itself okay Okay, let's go to John, the book of John, chapter 8. And let's see here. Mm. Let's start at verse 54. No, let's start at verse 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. And yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old. And you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most surely I say to you, before what Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of um, them, and so passed by. So, most surely I say to you before Abraham was I am what is the significance of that whatever it was it was very very significant because they pick up stones and they sought the killing right now and so what Jesus did was he told them before Abraham was I am Yahweh I am the self-existing one I am he and this is exactly what the Jews understood. All right. Let's go. Let's correlate. Let's go to the book of Exodus chapter. Uh, the book of Exodus chapter 314. All right. And we want to look at something here. Exodus 314. All right, now, oops, I tear my book. Exodus three fourteen. It reads. As a matter of fact, let's go up to thirteen. Let's start from thirteen. Then Moses said to God, Indeed. When I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Hmm. So. In the book of John, Jesus goes to tell the Jews 
that before Abraham was, I am. So this word, I am, is Ege Asher Ege. Okay, in the, um, let's see here. In the Greek, it translates to the word Ego, Ego Ami, okay, which is I am. And from this is where we get the term or the word, the name Yahweh, the tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H. It's where the consonants are without the vowels. When we add vowels to it, we get Yahweh, which may not be the proper pronunciation of it because the pronunciation was lost because the Jews took the vowels out of the name. That um, the name, the true name that was given here, right? All we have from that today is the four letters, Y-H-W-H. The Jews thought that it was too holy to pronounce the name and they wanted to to prevent anyone else from blasphemy in the holy name. So they removed the consonants. And they never put them back. And they forgot what the consonants was. And so we lost the true pronunciation of the holy name here. So we go with what we think that the where the where the vowels might have went. And we call him Yahweh. Alright? So now I am who I am. Aye Asher Aye. It translates to Yahweh. So here in John, I repeat it again. Jesus says, man, hey, before Abraham was, I am Yahweh. And they pick up stones to stone him. So here Jesus clearly um, doesn't see anything wrong with claiming deity. All right. So when they say that, oh, he's not, um, he's not God. Um, this is just poor theology on behalf of the Jehovah Witnesses. Who have a New World's Translator and not a Bible. New World's Translators support their poor theology. Okay. So, um, just another quick scripture. Um, something real quick. Let's go to uh, Hebrews. The book of Hebrews chapter 1. And... This is the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Just remember also, um, in apologetics. Apologetics is... is, is it's, it's very strong, um, and it's, there's a lot of reading. There's a lot of information involved um, because you you end up um, having to uh, conversate with people, scientists, um, people from the Scientology community, uh, the people from Islam, um, all of these different, you know, you know, Mormonism, all of these different things that cloud uh, the truth of orthodoxy. Okay, so here we have chapter, we're Hebrews chapter 1. Um, let's start from chapter. Hmm, let's start from chapter 5. It says, For to which of the angels did he, Yahweh, ever say, uh, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And um, of the angels, he said, Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers flame of fire? But to the son, Yahweh says, Your throne, O God is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom you have loved righteousness and and hated lawlessness therefore god your god has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions so here we have god but god is elohim it says elohim says to elohim so when in reference to his son but to the Son, Quios in Greek, to the Son, He, Yahweh said, Your throne, O Elohim, is forever. That's pretty deep. So, 
so one more before we go here and, and move on um so this is apologetics you know you 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 defend positions and in doctrine in christianity and here we're defending the deity of of jesus christ and which is in my opinion is probably the most important doctrine uh here and because some will say that soteriology is the most important but without christ being who he claimed to be all right the incarnate god with that not being true then <laughs> nothing else is relevant because we're all still in sin and there is no no nothing for it there's no medication for it sorry okay um all right one second here let's see we're in the book of revelations so this is chapter one verse eight and this is uh the words of of yeshua and read in my bible it says that i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end says the lord who is and who was and who is to come the almighty almighty is a name that was reserved for god and god alone okay now here we know this is jesus uh speaking or this is yeshua speaking and it's because it says it tells us here that um it says it says the lord and here lord is uh big l lowercase o r d in the scriptures when lowercase o r d is used and there's a big l a capital l that means that the term adonai is being used and adonai is a reference to uh yeshua now when there's a big l big o big r big d the scriptures always yahweh is being used all right so here we says the lord says this little lord and he calls himself the Almighty. And he has no problem with that. Where else in the scriptures do we see uh, God being called Almighty? Let's see. Uh, in the book of Exodus chapter Exodus chapter 6, verse 3. It says this. It reads, I appear to Abraham, to Isaac. And to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name Yahweh, I was not known to them. Almighty is a title that God uses specifically for himself. And here Christ says he's the Almighty in the book of Revelation. And he's showing no distinction. Okay. There's no distinction in the deity. The only distinction in the being. Of the trinity is the. Um, what. Different personalities. Between the three persons. Of course naturally. Uh, mode of actions and duties. Things that they do. The roles that they play. That's it. That's the only difference. So anyhow. Uh. So we're standing in the defense of uh, the doctrine of the, the deity of Christ. And we're just finding scriptures that show um, clearly what the Bible teaches about this doctrine of the deity of Christ. Um, apologists debate. Uh, debate against Mormons. You know, Mormons, uh, they have it. Mormons and okay in Judaism you have what, what they call Mishnah. No, Mishnah is not scripture, but Mishnah is the interpretation of the scripture. And in the New Testament, Jesus says that you guys take the tradition of men and you read them for scripture and you treat them like scripture. That's not the word of God. This is what Yeshua told them um, 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 in the first century. And, and and he had a point. It was absolutely correct. All right. So, um, in my opinion, that's what the, the Book of Mormon is. Okay. 
the Book of Mormon is similar to Mishnah because the Book of Mormon is not the Word of God. But they put more emphasis and they put more authority in the hands and in the, um, the, of, of John Smith and in the Book of Mormon than they do the King James Version itself. Because the, um, um, the Book of Mormon and the teachings from the Book of Mormon, the traditional things, okay, the traditions of men, those are the things that violate scripture, sacred scripture. Okay? Now, they say that they believe in the King James Version of the scripture. And they follow the King James Version of the scripture because that's impossible. That's totally impossible because of some of the things that they deny. What do they, um, what do what does what are some of the things the, the Mormons deny? They deny the deity of Christ as well. Okay? They don't believe that Christ is God and that our Christ is God incarnate, that he came into the earth in the form of a man. Um, they believe that Yeshua is a created being. Also the Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe the same thing. That 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 Yeshua, that Jesus is the first creation, is the very first thing that God created. Okay? And that's a problem. That's a huge problem. Because that's not scriptural at all. It's clearly what I showed you, the scriptures uh, previously. Those scriptures all point to um, a, a Yeshua that believed that he was God. Because it's very importantly that we have to understand of who did he believe that he was. What did he believe about himself? And these scriptures tell us that exactly. That I am who I am is what he told the people. So this is what he believed. Okay. Now, uh, the Mormons believe that Jesus and Lucifer are both created beings and they're spiritual brothers. That's pretty far-fetched. You won't find anything even closely remotely related to that. You may find that in the Book of Mormons, but you won't find anything remotely referring to that. Now, but very interestingly, though, is that... Um, I stumbled across a guy and I can't remember his name, but there the Book of Mormon that they have now is not the same Book of Mormons that they had, uh, that Joseph Smith had, that they had in the 1800s, because in that Book of Mormon, if you ever get a chance to get your hands on it, read it, and it's probably more references to the deity of Christ than it is um, in the New I mean, in the King James Version. Of the scripture and that book has been done away with because like the Jehovah Witnesses it doesn't fit the theology of the man that began the Jehovah Witness program which is uh, Charles Tass Russell these people have fell short and um, and fell into the doctrine or the teaching of men and they treat those as scripture and these things are just not so um, let's see here One of the things that I bring up to Mormons, uh, apologetically, I use, uh, a good one that I use is um, the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians chapter 1. Now, remember, um, Joseph Smith said he was in the forest. And he was in the forest and the angel Gabriel appeared to him and brought him the book of Mormon. See, it was written on some golden tablets and uh, all of this stuff. But I find something interesting in the New Testament. And I don't think Joseph Smith, he probably didn't even read this. Because if he did, he may have changed. Uh, he may have, um, you know, switched his lie around a little bit. Okay, so here we are. Galatians, the book of Galatians chapter, let's say 1, verse, let's start from verse 6. <clears throat> Excuse me. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him, capital H, meaning Yeshua, who called you um, in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who troubled you 
and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what um, we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Or let him be anathema. Uh, verse 9, as we have said before, so now and I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. That was clear right there. Paul said, even if an angel from heaven brought you another gospel, Joseph Smith, don't accept it. Right? So, because it will be a lie. Paul speaking these things under the the power of the spirit. Paul is almost prognosticating. You know, he's giving you a warning of something that he knew would occur. Or the possibilities of it. So here the book of Galatians is basically uh, Paul talking to Judaizers. were coming around telling people that, hey, you can still believe in Jesus, but you still got to follow the law. So Paul was letting them know, hey, man, no, that's not so. You know, these guys are bringing you another gospel. Okay, don't take that. But when you take this scripture to the, I mean, to the uh, to the Mormons, and the first thing their only defense is this: is that the Book of Mormon is not another gospel. It's not a separate gospel. It's an extension of the one gospel. Come on, man. That's not cool. Um. There's so many things to defend against, um, and apologetically, in, with Mormon Mormonism as well. Uh, maybe one day we'll go deeper into each one, really deep, 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 and go and dig out a lot, right? So, but right now, this specific podcast is just a brief introduction uh, to apologetics and letting you know uh, what the what apologists do. Yeah. So, let's move on here. Um, so we covered the Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, and Islam is another one um, that's a complete enemy of Christianity. And um, the problem with Islam, in my opinion, is for one, Muhammad didn't appear until the 6th century AD, you know, that's over 2,000 years. Uh, from the first century and uh, I have this in another podcast it's called the it's called the uh, what is it called uh, Muhammad's credibility at Hira and I challenge the fact that um, what the scripture what our scripture teaches that in the law of the land you know Muhammad only lived like 700 miles from Jerusalem so the they would have similar laws or exact the same laws you know the, the which was actually the loss of Maharabi, and it governed the all the lands of Samaria and the ones beyond too. Um, but uh, the law of the land stated that um, the witness of one man is is not enough. The requirement was for the witness for your testimony to be credible. Or your story to be credible, it was the requirement of a, for there to be a witness, uh, more than uh, two witnesses, you know, more than one person. I'm sorry, I'm confusing myself. <laughs> but um, yeah, it had to be more than one person. The the uh, the the credibility of one person wasn't enough. And Christ even said it himself. He said, "Look, man, I don't even testify about myself, you know." Um, my father and, my, and, the, and the spirit is a witness to me. You know, he said, if I testify of myself, then my testimony is, is, is not good. Because you can't have just one. So he's saying, but my testimony is not one. My testimony is three. All right. So Muhammad was in the cave alone. And, um, and he's the only one. You know, to attest to the fact that he said, I got this book from, the, you know, the Quran. The Holy Quran, he said he got it from this angel, Gabriel. And it's just nothing 
There's no credibility there, in my opinion. You know, he shouldn't be a credible witness. He should have had to have somebody else there um, to attest to what he said he saw in the experience that he said he had. Um, another problem that I have with Islam apologet apologetically is that the Quran came around, you know, it didn't appear until obviously Muhammad within the 600, 600 BC. So, and it contradicts the scriptures, already established scriptures that have been around since, I mean, the Dead Sea Scrolls date back to what, 300 BC? And here we have, and then the Quran pops up and say, hey, all of this stuff in the New Testament is wrong. What you guys believe about uh, Yeshua is wrong. He was just a prophet. You know, you have these 12 men, these apostles who live with this guy, uh, Yeshua, walk with him, talk with him. You know, for three years, they were intimate with the guy. You know, they had an intimate relationship. They had a, a love relationship going on. You know, um, you know, they just knew this person very well. And then over 2,000 years later, this guy comes and say, hey, man, everything that that book is saying about um, this guy is wrong. Because this guy is in my book, too, the Quran. But he's just nothing but a prophet. And he's not even a prophet at the level of Muhammad. Okay? So, um, I don't think that God just up one day capriciously, capriciously changed his mind about the whole thing. You know? About all of the messages and everything that he gave the prophets. All the years and years and years of dealing with Israel. I don't think that all of these records are wrong. You know, in the Quran you find mention of David, Abraham, and, um, and Jesus, and all of these biblical characters. So during the time of Muhammad, you had what they call um, Gnostic Gospels. Gnostic Gospels were everywhere. You know, the Book of Thomas, the um, the Shepherd of Hermas, the, there was there's so many books out there um, that were, uh, that were what they call them, pseudopigraphals. You know, they have, they're using fake names like the Book of Thomas. We know that because of the poor theology in the Book of Thomas that Thomas would never have written anything um, so frivolous. Okay, and me personally, I think that the Quran was one of those books and Muhammad picked it up on a trade route somewhere. And no one gave it to him. And he used that book to, um, you know, to run his stuff, man. To do what he needed to get done. I think he was a brilliant dude. I don't think he was an uneducated person, as they claim. Uh, another problem that I have with Islam apologetically is... Um, all right. Abraham had two sons. Abraham screwed it up. He really did. Him and Sarah. They messed it up. Um, Sarah urges Abraham to, you know, to have sex with his with, with Hagar so she can perform the ritual um, and take the child to be herself, which she did. She um, Hagar got pregnant. She had Ishmael. And the next thing you know, Sarah turns up, she gets pregnant anyway. But Ishmael, I think Ishmael was probably up around 13 years old around the time that Sarah um, was pregnant with Isaac. Um, or it might have been 10. And, you know, but anyhow, yeah, so so, so Abraham gets with uh, Hagar. They make Ishmael. Isaac comes, and God tells them that, hey, look, he can't be raised in the same house with Isaac because he is Abraham's eldest son and technically he has the right he's the heir to everything that Abraham has okay and so but that's not the way that God planned it he planned it for Isaac which is the son of the promise the son that promised that God had promised to Sarah okay he was the son of the promise Ishmael was not the son of the promise that God had made to Abraham. Okay. God had went through. If you look in the book of Genesis chapter 15. God went through a whole entire Caesarean ritual. To prove. I mean not to prove. But to, to assure Abraham. That he was going to do. What he said he was going to do. Even to the point of. 
um, um, expressing to Abraham that, hey, if I don't do what I said that I'm going to do and make your seeds like the seashore and the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky, you can cut my head off, Abraham, if I don't keep my part of the bargain and make this happen for you and Sarah. For you and Sarah, Abraham. I'm going to make this happen for you and Sarah. So, so Isaac, through Sarah, was the son of the promise. And not Ishmael. But God sent him away. And so, but he told him, look, it's not your fault. All this is Abraham's fault. So I'm not going to punish you or your son. I'm also going to make him a great nation as well. So, Hagar and Ishmael, they move out to Midia. To the land of Midia, he meet his Midianite uh, wives and he has 12 sons too. Okay? So, is he the father of the Arab nation? Probably so. Or he might not be. Because you got, Midia was already populated when they got there. But anyhow, traditionally he is the father of the Arab nation. And so this is the um, this is the Islamic claim um, on uh, certain things in Israel. Um, their whole claim on Abraham, their whole claim on God. Okay, they say that this is theirs through Abraham. Okay, that's your claim through Abraham, but but Ishmael was not the son of the promise, so your claim is not valid. Okay. The claim is not valid. Uh, well, all right, 36 minutes already. So, well, yeah. So that right there is um, just the, um, a little a brief look into apologetics. Uh, I also wanted to go into things about science as well. Well, as a matter of fact, I will, because that was one of the ones. It was supposed to be uh, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, Islam, and science. Because, you know, as an apologist, you'll debate some scientists and things like that as well. Um, but um, but when, you're, when, 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 you're, when you're challenged with a scientist, well, me personally, I don't use the scriptures um, per se to... To debate a scientist or some someone a, a naturalist or a materialist, wherever they want to be called, but I use I use science, you know, I use science because uh, science in um, um, in spirituality they go in harmony, you know. They like to say that you know reason you can't mix reason in in uh, uh, spirituality or whatever. And that's the dumbest thing ever because. From spirituality, reason is born. What do you mean? You know, that's one of the... Well, okay. But anyhow, um, there's a lot of things that, 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 that's not taught in schools that are facts in science that proves um, that um, certain things or ideas in science and evolution and stuff are not possible. Like, say, for instance... Um, the point of singularity in Big Bang cosmology, okay? The point of singularity in Big Bang cosmology is flawed in that it violates the law of inertia, okay? The law of inertia says that an object at rest will tend to remain at rest until um, acted upon by outside force. An object in motion tends to remain in motion constantly, forever, unless acted upon by outside force. So the point of singularity, the infinitesimal, uh, it exploded, put everything out to the world, mattered, and then now we have cars. Okay, but the problem here is that according to the law of inertia, if that little infinitesimal were sitting there, it should have remained sitting there infinitely, forever and ever and ever, unless an outside force acted upon it. Okay, at one point in time, the uh, naturalist community even decided to concede. They say, hey, you know what? I think you guys got a point. You know what? This is what we're going to do. Because we understand that something can't come from nothing, that um, that's illogical. Okay, we agree to that. So this is what we're going to say. Deism. Deism is the belief that um, that God just spin the whole entire existence like a top and just let it go. He just let it go by itself. And 
um, natural selection and things like this begin to occur all because he just started the thing and he just stepped back and just let it grow like mold on cheese or something like that. Hey, let me just let it grow and see what it does. That's deism. That's what they fled to um, after uh, being challenged and shot down by by um, by theologians. And so, but anyhow, um, there's just so many things, you know, the, 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 the sun, you know, it's the, the sun is not old as they, as they teach that it is in school, billions and billions of years old, because our sun is a, is a very young sun. And the reason that we know this is because a sun at its maximum burning capacity, if I'm not mistaken, it burns at about uh, 15 million degrees. A sun that's burning at that capacity has no more natural fuel in the sun. The fuel in the sun is uh, lithium, beryllium, and the hydrogen. But at lithium and beryllium is destroyed at 4 million degrees. Around 4 million degrees, the sun is depleted of all lithium and beryllium. So our sun... Our sun is brimming over the rim with lithium and beryllium. It's just packed with the stuff, man. All right? And that tells us that what? That our sun is a young sun and it's burning under 4 million degrees. It's burning under 4 million degrees when the maximum burning capacity for a sun is 15 million degrees. So to reach that 15 million degrees burning capacity is required for the sun to be about 5 billion years old. Okay? And our sun is so far from even a million years old. But these are the things that, that they don't teach in school. This is the, the apologetic material that people get to hear and get to open their eyes and, and, and say, Hey, wait a minute. Is that really true? I want to go and check that out for myself. And when they go check it out for themselves, they'll say, wow, I've been duped all of this time. Right. So, yeah. So different apologetic approaches. Um, like if you want, you can look into apologetics. But like I said, there's a lot of reading because there's so many different areas that the attacks come from, you know, on so many fronts. So you're reading about the, you're reading about the Jehovah Witness, you're reading about the Mormons, you're reading about uh, scientific naturalism, you know, you're reading about people like Chantal, uh, Jean Paul Zeter, you know, things like that. I want to talk about nothingness and all this other stuff, but it is a lot of reading, but it is a really, really intriguing and challenging um, uh, area in the church. So, um, yeah. Well, hope you enjoyed this podcast, and um, it's a little longer than I wanted it today, but that's okay. But thank you for joining um, us again here at Theist Secularia, the Hypocritical. Uh, don't I hesitate to be a supporter of the podcast. It does cost money to keep it going. And, yeah, thanks a lot. You guys have a great evening. Hello everyone, and thank you for joining me today on um, here at Thea Secularity, the Hypocritical. Today I'm going to talk about something. Um, it's kind of it's, it's maybe sensitive to some people, um, so um, I don't want people to think that I'm coming off insensitive in any kind of way, fashion, or form. Okay, but let's read this. Let's go to the Book of Psalms, chapter. Uh, let me see, chapter 139, verse. 13 it says for you formed me I mean for you formed my inward parts you covered me in my mother's womb okay and it says my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book they all were written the days fashion for me when as yet there were none of them that's the book of psalms chapter 139 um verses 13 um to 16 all right 
So David says that God fashioned him in the womb. All right, in our world today, uh, we have people who have uh, physical infirmities. Some people were born with no limbs, no arms or no legs, or no arms and no legs. Uh, some people were born without eyes. You know, some people were born, um, you know, with one leg shorter than the other. So our question today is, 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 is does God actually fashion people with infirmity? And I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that God does not intentionally um, um, sit there and build someone that way. Although he could, he could instruct that to be so, um, so that his will can come to pass. Because, but I don't believe that that's the case here. I believe that the case is um, genetic failure, all right? Because remember, okay, when Adam was created, Adam was a perfect being. Adam and Eve, they were perfect beings. They had no infirmity. Um, they had no, uh, um, no type of physical hardships, okay? They didn't get sick. They didn't get, um, you know, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't experience any suffering because of physical maladies, okay, during that time. Now, after the fall, after the fall, everything changed. Prior to the fall, Adam and Eve would have had perfect DNA. Their genetics were absolutely crafted and designed by God specifically. All right? Now, after the fall, things begin to change. Bodies begin to age. People began to die because Adam and Eve would have lived forever. They would have never died had they never transgressed against the king. Okay? So, um, after the fall, things begin to, you know, things like that begin to happen to where um, cell degradation began to occur. Okay? That means that you begin to get old. Uh, your being, your bones begin to to um, um, uh, to lose their 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 strength. You know, your bones be some. You know, your bones even become weaker. Your skin begins to sag because you know the 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 stuff inside the skin that makes you know that acts as springs, the collagen begins to uh, degrade and into into wash away when your skin starts to sag. All of that is due to um, ramifications of the fall. So I do too believe that um, people that are retarded, I'm saying that is as, sens as sensitive as I can. Uh, retarded just meaning slow. Okay? Um, just like they have retarders on the truck, you know, devices to slow them down. Well, there is a genetic device inside the mind of people who are considered retarded that is slowing down their normal human um, mental functions and abilities. Did God create them like this? Absolutely not. I don't believe so. I believe that these things are a result or a ramifications of the fall. Okay? Now, like I said, once Adam and Eve sinned, then, de then degeneration began to occur. Death had come into the picture. Destruction had come into the picture. It came into the picture. Right? Um... Obviously, the genetics in man uh, before the fall were absolute. They were absolute, totally pure, be fruitful and multiply. So, of course, Adam and Eve's children would have to breed with Adam and Eve's children. If we do that today, all sorts of maladies and things can occur, and we call it incest today. Okay, because those genetics, um, they don't, the same type of genetic material don't, go together correctly, all right? So a cousin, uh, a boy, uh, a sister and a brother couldn't, you know, do anything like that today and produce a healthy baby. Now, well, you could, but in most cases, there's gonna be a lot of problems with that child, you know? If you look at the movie Wrong Turn, I think that's what that movie was sort of based on, the type of people um, that were living in the hills and stuff, and they were, um, involved in a lot of incest and stuff, so it's not healthy today. 
but then it was healthy because the genetic um, were pure. The gene pool was pure, right? The molecular structure was sound. It was perfect. So without the same perfect genetics that Adam had and Eve had in the beginning, without that, I mean, we are subjected to um, a failures, genetic failures, all right? So I just wanted to share that really quickly. This is a jot and a tittle. The jot and the tittle is always um, a little short, you know, because that's what it is. It's just a little something that just, you know, just a little information to get out there real quick. Um, it was on my heart. I wanted to talk about it, and here it is. And I hope I didn't offend anybody. I hope that um, that everybody understands the perspective of which that I am um, bringing this to you. It is from a, a place of love and um, just to help provide understanding. Because I have had this question come to me, you know, more than once. You know, why did God create me like this, or why did why do God create people like that? And so as far as the fashioning, God is not responsible for it. So though God, uh, his, his responsibility is that he built the machine, right, in order to, uh, to create. Okay, put it this way. You have a male, um, you, have a male uh, um, you have a male sperm and a female egg that come together and they create zygote. Zygote is a little itty bitty tiny um, entity. And it's what it is, it is about the, the size of the tip of a needle, and it is said to fill enough chemical. It is said to have enough chemical instruction to fill 500,000 pages um, um, from books. Okay, now, now um, those instructions, those instructions were once perfect and impervious instructions, but after the fall, they are not anymore. They're not perfect anymore. And that is the reason why people come out imperfect because our genetics are no longer perfect. All right. Again, this is Absalom Shakur. Thank you for tuning in to Thea Secularity Hypocritical. Um, feel free to support this podcast and enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks.